Jacques Franck is a specialist in Leonardo da Vinci who has trained both as an art historian and as a classical painter. A consulting expert to the Louvre, the Armand Hammer Center for da Vinci Studies at UCLA, and other institutions, he has spent almost 50 years immersed in the Italian master's body of work. Franck has made critical copies in order to better understand da Vinci's techniques, which has been shown at the Uffizi, and has dedicated his life to raising awareness about the dangers of restoration based on insufficient knowledge. He spoke to Mia on the occasion of the 500th anniversary of the death of da Vinci and his major retrospective exhibition at the Louvre, bringing together almost 120 works from the most prestigious European and American institutions. Jacques Franck, uh, welcome to the creative process. Uh, so you have been working uh, almost all your life uh, attached to uh, Da Vinci uh, and we are lucky to be doing this interview in Paris. Uh, I, as I understand, uh, as we look at uh, the paintings in the collections in the Louvre and the paintings that uh, Da Vinci brought to, to France, it's like a love story, the Mona Lisa that she keeps close to him. And I, it, as I understand speaking to you, you, your relationship with him is also like a love story. Yes, more, more or less so, but I was a child, when I, uh, a, a, a little child actually, when I first saw Leonardo's work, and that work was, with the, was the Mona Lisa on a photograph, which was shown uh, in a book. Well, that's many years ago. I, it was, uh, I, I must have been seven or eight uh, of age, you see, and uh, it struck me immediately as if I ha had al already seen the, that picture, and it seemed to me the uh, absolute perfection and it struck me mostly because of the wonderful sfumato of the flesh and the presence of, of the figure, too, of the sitter, as if she was there. And um, then I considered immediately, not having much culture about, uh, about um, Renaissance painting at that age, that Leonardo was probably the most important artist uh, in Western art. And what for you made him uh, the definitive artist of the Renaissance and Western art? Uh, to me? Yes. Or to many, yes. Uh, uh, yes, well, as, as to many. Um, well, the sense of perfection in every, uh, in every sense. First of all, spiritual perfection, the expression of, uh, in the portraits, you see, the, the sort of deep understanding of um, the human soul. And also, when representing um, um, sacred uh, subjects, representing the divine as though he had been able to sit, you know, just in front of, of God himself in a way because the expression in Santan's face is so um, Christ-like and the expression of, um, of uh, divine love over humanity and this is very seldom um, represented in art so this extraordinary way of representing this uh, um, supreme uh, feeling uh, 
and also the perfection in the in the shaping and the uh, the composition and uh, everything was perfect with him yes and perfect and yet human it, and it yet human yes well he has both yes and and of course he he filled many thousands of pages with his thoughts about yeah. this and then engineering and all the other things which is also wonderful you have a great artist who is mm. also talented in these other domains it must have been very difficult for him and as i understand to to focus on his many many immense talents but so you mentioned saint anne and so i know uh, your route to being a you are a painter you're also art historian and so i understand your route to be coming an art historian also concerned with conservation came through understanding the process of making art. You've made a, a notable copy. Yes, I can, I can show it to oh, you if you to. wish. Yes, yes, and this is also It's next from just a moment. Yes. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> do, do have a look. <laughs> yes, just for the audience. It has, been, it has been exhibited in the Uffizi Gallery, yes, as you know. Uh, yeah. And the, the subtle gradations of colour in each of the... This is the sfumato the yes. technique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did everything to have uh, to stop the restoration yes. of the picture because it's such a fine work and we don't know much about um, the real materials that Leonardo used for making, you know, uh, um, uh, the flesh paint yes. in the flesh sec sections. So, uh, of course, they wouldn't sort of take any samples in 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 such yes. noble areas shall we say yeah and uh, so they wouldn't know much and so i said well you know do you know nothing about what is in that uh, paint layer yeah. and we don't know what kind of a reaction we would have with the solvents in the paint layer so it's mm -hmm. better better not to touch it mm -hmm. and then they start well that uh, first attempt to a uh, cleaning was made in 92 94 and then it was stopped I was rather sort of um, um, influential in the decision not to, 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 to touch it up and uh, then they started that um, they re restarted the, the, the cleaning project in 2009 mm -hmm. and I was advising but there were too many people in that uh, um, uh, scientific committee and um, my advice was followed to such an extent but again there was another part of the committee who wanted to go much farther in mm. the cleaning so I don't think that the cleaning is absolutely perfect as it stands mm. yeah well it's it's interesting that because also you know people want to be uh, we are responsible for cleaning and restoring it and, we, and not to bring the conversation off topic but look what has recently happened to Notre Dame for try, yeah. yes what we lose in order to try to save or make better so yes you're, you're very right and particularly and I knew I, yes. I knew my job well you understand yes. Yes. but um, 
it's the position of curators. They have a real power, like feudal power. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, they won't listen to um, people unless they are scientists. Yes. And I'm not a scientist. I couldn't mm-hmm. prove that it was fragile. I could say, well, I've been <coughs> talking to scientists and, uh, and explaining the technique I'm using mm-hmm. and the, the way it's been reconstructed, which at the time had already... Uh, become very convincing because now we know it's that my position was 100% right. Yes. Uh, it's been made that way, uh, which I have reconstructed. It's proven scientifically yes. and visually because we, we found um, some uh, copywork after Saint Anne, uh, the Mona Lisa and other works by Leonardo who have been produced by the studio and in which um, one can see the the, uh, the making process very clearly with the little uh, small uh, dots uh, and uh, translucent layers also um, because uh, Leonardo's pupils were not as uh, such perfectionists as Leonardo was so they wouldn't finish the work because it would take such and such a long time so uh, we have the intermediate process still visible on the pictures, notably in the uh, Prada Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. And you can see all sort of dots everywhere t- to, to make the modeling of, uh, it was not just, you know, rubbed with, with the finger like this to, to, to make a soft focus effect. No, it, mm-hmm. just with little dots, constructing the, the lovely shading and soft transitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, now it's all proven 100% and it's uh, in uh, some, uh, scientific publications but at the time you know I wasn't so much believed by some people who were responsible for the cleanings uh, my position was the same as it was in, uh, back in 2011 when I first saw the uh, Salvatore Mundi in the National Gallery I, I could see right away it was, wasn't by Leonardo me too and I'm not expert yeah and because the, the, you see painters and notably uh, classic uh, classical painters uh, react like a musician before a musical part. You have you look at the part and you understand what what is the tone, what is this and that, and the tempo and what have you. It's all technical, you, and I I could immediately see that uh, something wrong was in that picture, which was mm-hmm. uh, in fact the anatomy in the blessing hand, and the mm-hmm. perspective was wrong. Mm-hmm. So you can't attribute a painting with such a fault to Leonardo da Vinci, who was a wonderful anatomist. He had been dissecting human corpses all his life, and also he wrote two very important texts about the movement of of, uh, of the arm and of the hands in the Codex Atlanticus. And, I mean, you know, from the way you see the text is um, thought, conceived, you can understand it. Uh, it, it's been written by a masterly man who knows anything, everything about uh, anatomy and the observation of movement. Mm. Yeah, it was so too he could be mistaken. I mean, you know, he couldn't be mistaken. So it had to. It it has to be explained in a way, and the rest of the picture seemed to me rather poor. Yes, it seems yes. Not for well, it's not a bad picture. I, yeah. I, I, and yeah. it does come from Leonardo's studio, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't ascribe it to the master himself. It's interesting because of da Vinci being a ha- 
he's an artist. I don't know, you're talking about the division between art and science and what we know through experience and just that intuition, which is also it's like a deep knowledge, but we almost don't understand how, right? And then uh, what we know through science and all these things that can be measured in a more mm -hmm. um, overt way. And what have you, uh, if through your use of instruments and the, the x-raying of the, um, the different works, what, what does that help us know? To have the x-rays yes. uh, of, of Leonardo's works. Yes. Well, it helps to understand a few, um, well, some lines which are very important. Anyway, it helps us understand in matter of um, expertise where Leonardo is and where he is not because the typology of mm -hmm. his uh, X-ray uh, Im uh, images, uh, um, X-ray imaged works uh, are very typical and very singular and belong to Leonardo himself and no other one. Mm. And uh, they're all blurred. It's like <laughs> the um, what uh, you can see in the visible light. Uh, it's all blurred and uh, it means that um, it's partly um, um, X-ray proof and on the other hand very thin, thin layers. Well, this is very helpful to understand that what I told them uh, was possibly right at the time. And, um, well, they took uh, this into consideration because the x-rays of my copy is not this one because it's, uh, it's not uh, oil paint, but other oil paint, um, oil paint um, exercises made in... Uh, critical reconstruction of uh, Mona Lisa's left eye um, showed similar um, similar uh, features under x-ray as the original uh, Leonardo's and on and on I mean you know not only that but they later on discovered that um, Fluorescence, I don't know whether I'm right or not because there is a specific uh, word in English, but the fluorescence of uh, X-ray, um, uh, examination of uh, the Mona Lisa, has shown all the um, multi-layer, superimposed layers that I have described for 20 years before they did this uh, forensic uh, approach. And which means that all that it's um, a superimposition of translucent micro layers, very, very, very thin translucent layers. And of course, the structures of these micro layers can be very much resistant to, um, to solvents in the, in, in the um, eventuality of cleaning. Yeah, because he was such a great experimenter, and of yeah. course we see what Well, I think I've been summer. very helpful to yeah. conservation mm -hmm. to this extent. This has been useful for that. Mm. Not enough, I shall say. Yes, but you know, it's important to have these um, alternative voices that push us or prevent us from going too far when we don't know, you know. <laughs> we always assume in the future or cleaning or making things new is, is the best, but I... Uh, Yes, it's, I think it's very good that you can know, kind of exercise caution since we don't know. But in terms of people who don't, um, who know the paintings, 
but don't know the life of da Vinci. These beautiful paintings of purity and perfection and great humanity, as you say, are the codex. But help us understand that the life, the, the man who made these paintings is coming out uh, to being born at a time of turmoil. He's an illegitimate um, son. You know, he's, he's having to overcome a lot of things to create these works of great beauty. Um, well, he'd been painting all his life and he was um, a researcher mm -hmm. in his soul, mostly. Painting was a means to, uh, to question the universe. In, in order to, to make his art as perfect as possible, he would know everything that he could put into his painting. So everything on perspective, everything on optics and mathematics, everything on the, the ingredients that, ha that, that have to go into uh, the making, everything about geology, because it has to be represented in a very accurate way in, a lan in landscape painting and so and so forth. I don't think that Leonardo had difficulty in imposing himself as an artist because uh, he was so, uh, I should say, divinely uh, gifted that it struck everyone that he was a genius uh, at once. Mm. And uh, that occurred in uh, a Verrocchio studio when he uh, entered the, uh, the workshop at the age of, let's say, 13 or so. He'd been already um, creating and painting and modelling because he was a sculptor uh, also. Um, uh, he impressed his, his master Verrocchio mm -hmm. and uh, of course he needed to have uh, further academic training to learn all sorts of essential topics that were needed uh, for the proper instruction of a good painter. All this was rather easy, I should say. He, at the age of 30, he was a famous uh, artist. And in Verrocchio's studio, and he stayed there quite a while too. Uh, yes, quite a while, yeah. yes. Well, he stayed there for at least 10 years. Yeah, he also was picking up, I understand, and I don't know if that was unique for other ateliers at the time, but a lot of engineering knowledge, I think. Yes, well, yes. That, that, mm -hmm. that, yes, in addition, because he was very much interested in these uh, matters because the Duomo in the uh, Brunelleschi's yeah. in Florence was still being uh, on its way to be built up. Uh, at the, it wasn't entirely finished when Leonardo was young, let's say by 1470. So he could see all the uh, workmen and architects and uh, all these people cropping around in a building and uh, Verrocchio was invested too. He had commissions because he would all sort of, you know, these uh, bottegae were um, had um, different possibilities. Uh, there would be architects, there would be sculptors, painters. Uh, they had all sorts of crafts, you see. So Leonardo could uh, pick up a lot of knowledge, information and training uh, during these years in, in Verrocchio's workshop. It's... It's beautiful. I like to think, and I'm sure you we were touched on it a bit before. I like to think back to these times where we still have, or you have Eco de Louvre, you have Eco National des Beaux Arts, Superior des Beaux Arts, but this atelier system, we really don't have it. And I really think it is unfortunate in many ways, not just in the artistic realm, you know, that we have lost that um, strong foundation of learning about all of this it's uh, universal knowledge yes uh -huh. uh, and what are your feelings about that yes 
Well, I mean, you you can't fight uh, you can't fight um, uh, things that come with uh, as time goes on. I mean, mm -hmm. it's an evolution yes. as it stands, and um, of course, it would be good to have these trainings altogether. I felt myself very open to all sorts of uh, disciplines when I was uh, young. Um, when I uh, got into the Beaux-Arts schools in Boulogne-sur-Mer, mm. I was taught architecture, I was taught sculpture, and art history at the age of 13. Mm. Further on, I wanted to know everything about poetry, uh, literature, uh, acting. Yes, you were in them. Yes, on the stage in England. And um, all these things, because every discipline is helpful to the other one. I, I could never have had the patience I had to uh, recreate this same town. Although I had, I had already guessed, uh, rediscovered the technique. But I mean, it's not the technique enough. It's a piece of art, so you've got to be as high uh, in the artistic level as possible. I, at that time, I was making this, I was also writing poetry, and I was very much inspired by a French symbolism. Uh, someone like Mallarmé, who was a great, great uh, poet, had a way of writing his uh, poetry, quite an extraordinary. He would create his poetry very much using words and not paint, um, like Leonardo did, so, which means very chiselled, the, the thinking of which word will go with another word in, in order to create both sense and harmony. It was extraordinary. And if I hadn't been uh, focusing so much on, <clears throat> on Malamé's uh, way of writing poetry, I don't think that I would have had the patience to, to, to spend 3,000 hours on this copy. And it's because his famous poem, Hérodiade, uh. he spent 40 years to write it, uh. correcting it every time back to the work, changing some things and, and, uh, and, so, uh, and so and so forth, until it, it, it became real perfection. Yeah. And um, when Paul Valéry, who knew uh, Mallarmé well, although he was younger, said when he first saw um, Hérodiade, the, the text, which wasn't published at the time, he said, I was so shocked, so impressed, by the perfection of his poetry, because it was so perfect that, that the images in that poetry were absolutely clear, would be striking you, get into your memory, and then you, once you'd read that poetry, you could remember it without making an effort. Yes. Because it was so perfect, it's something you couldn't forget. It's very interesting as a test also of uh, any kind of work of art, uh, Da Vinci, it, it's Well, memorable. this is the same it's, level with Leonardo. Yes, it's a memorability that it's just, and it's so unique, you can't, uh, you can't find another like it, you know. No. Even, if, even if you use the same kind of compositional techniques, it's now been copied. No, no, yeah. once you see a real Leonardo, you know what it looks like. I've seen yeah. the Mona Lisa unframed, fi unframed five times. I, I can tell you it resembles nothing, nothing else. It's, it's beautiful how much time it takes to create a work that works strongly on the memory. 
like that so strongly that it becomes mm. as in, in your case and as with many others almost a part of us right mm. it's a part of our collective memory yeah. it's something you can't forget I mean some some verses in uh, in Malarmé I, I, I could remember for for all my life mm -hmm. because it's total perfection you can't imagine something that could could be improved and were there some you, you have that ones? same level with yeah. with Leonardo and so it's I'm I'm interested in your life. You touched also on on your background and in acting, and I, it seems to me also that that helps you as uh, an art historian who's imagining yourself so deeply into. You really have to like a, a biography. You have to enter into like a character. Like is yeah. Well, of course, I was a, a painter of having my own style. Yes. When I started copying Leonardo, it was an exercise to learn. It's like. A man who would sort of uh, would try to climb to climb up the Alps mm -hmm. or the Everest Mount, you see, yeah. because Leonardo is so immense. But I knew that that way I would learn something mm -hmm. important because he was such a high-level master. Mm -hmm. But then I tried to learn art by myself. Mm -hmm. I was taught by De Misel, who's the man who uh, painted this landscape, a post-impressionist of uh, high level. Uh, trained in the late 19th century, he could have been my great-grandfather. I was a child of 11 when he's, uh, when I was his pupil. In Padukale. Yeah. But I had to, to, to go all through the process of, first of all, working, trying to understand what art is about, trying to create, make oneself a technique, and also know, finally, what is the right level uh, art should have and um, well it's something of course um, art historians a stricter sense of art historians won't won't get into because mm. it's not the same training it's not the same discipline mm. well of course they have a sense of perfection because they know how to work well to be extremely rigorous with documents and scientists also but rigorousness in art is a con uh, is based on something that his uh, that has been sort of schemed, I should say, by uh, Paul Valéry. He says, "Le seul réel dans l'art, c'est l'art." The well, only thing that is real in art is art itself. So the the logic in art is art. Mm -hmm. So one has to understand what art is. Inside out learning, yes. Yes, well, in itself, mm -hmm. and it's a level. I mean, it's a sp something like uh, holy grace. Mm -hmm. Once you 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 you've got to come across it, and then you see what it means. And it can only come like a revelation. It only come like something that is what is it is, and you know what it is not. And you must know that, like in every, well, mostly in, in art, about 95% of artists are not artists. You mean contemporary artists now, or just through history? In general. You mean there have to be showmen? Well, of course, you can be an artist. <laughs> there is no art of a low level. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. You, you can't be halfway. Yes. Whether you're an artist and then you are... I'm not going to say that you, only Leonardo da Vinci is an artist because he was absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm not meaning that, but I mean, 
there is a, a sort of a uh, specific level, which is mm. the preliminary access to art. Mm. This notion is absolutely strange mm. to all the people who work in art history. And this is the reason why they make so many mistakes in the world of expertise and attribution. Do you understand what I mean? Be, because they should be at least given that basis of foundation. I have written an article in 1997 uh, or eight, whereby all people learning about curatorial work or conservative work should be trained in art to have at least the basis. Because the art historian's approach scientists approach while those people who are dealing with art have an intellectual I should say mental approach to art and they see the making the way they imagine it has been made advisor to uh, museum people for conservation uh, projects I could very well see that uh, the people next to me who were not Precise, uh, who were of course not artists, I was the only one, because artists never advise in museums, because very few artists are trained the way I was trained. The, and I approach university people too, scholars, mm. and their understanding of art is intellectual, it, does, it, it has nothing material. They think the actual making of a painting is just is the way they think. Yeah. See, that the real that. making yeah. can be very different to what they think. Sure. Do you understand what yes. I mean? I understand this is the terrible thing that goes on. Mm. I'm correcting these people while now I'm advising a doctoral dissertation on Leonardo's techniques at oh, École yes. Pratique des Hautes Études. Right. And my uh, thesis director is now my pupil he has become my pupil, in a way, in an, an informal way. And he said, Monsieur Frank, do you think that, um, uh, are you meaning, because of course, in his uh, seminars and uh, courses at university, uh, he speaks about, he, he's, he is absolutely brilliant as an art historian. And he tried uh, in some seminars, to, in some lectures, to explain the technique based on uh, scientific uh, observations of pictures, you know, in museums now and again, they, they make scientific analysis of pictures and some pigments and this and that, the x-ray, what have you. So he thought that that was enough, plus his own knowledge, historical knowledge, that he could be able to, to explain the technique. And I said, you can't, because there are too many elements which you cannot have access to because you are not a painter. So you will deliver uh, the understanding of the painting through historical data, documentary data, plus scientific observations and what your own eye perceives. But still, it's an imagined way of approaching a picture and art. The only, well, you know, as the English say, the proof of the, of the pudding is in the eating. Yeah. You must actually have to create to know how the materials work and how the brush works and so and so forth. I mean, you know, you, you can't just bar 
the artist and say, well, now exit artists and I'm going to explain painting uh, the way the paintings were painted by myself, not being an artist. It's an impossible situation. And this is why, when I got so worried about the way uh, Leonardo was approached, the way it was expertised, mistakes such as we have now with the Salvatore Mundi, that it's about time I tell them, you know, that the artist has a, a leading role to accomplish in the expertise of the making of art and art itself. Yes, I understand. And this is why I'm close mm -hmm. to Art Watch. Well, it's so good that... Um, yes, we should find out, we should speak more about Art Watch, but it's so good that you have respect for the principal makers, you know, because I, I, I didn't mean not working in a museum, don't understand the level of politics or things that, that take place which might not you know, respect that the principles that need, the fundamentals that you, uh, need to be in place. And I think it's very true, uh, most artists, and, and it's strange because even Da Vinci seems like one of our most intellectual artists, right? Mm -hmm. But even, he, you know, even, and, and he worked out, even with his analysis of the movements of mind and the hand gestures and all these things, most scientific, but even so, the decisions an artist make about placement, it's not for an intellectual reason necessarily. It's just, it's where it goes, and you only know it. It's where, it, it's how it's done. If I may say, yes. if you consider two artists of a similar stature, Shakespeare or Mozart, yes. mm -hmm. you never have the academics. Mm -hmm. Obviously, by nature, you need the third party to interpret both works. Yes. And it's always going to be the artist, and the academic yes. is there to check the folio. Maybe there's one or two words that they might suggest to the... Yes. theatre maker or to the conductor mm -hmm. and so the, 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 the interface is between the original uh, creation is, is, is always with the, an artist well, and you don't have that obviously that same opportunity with, with painting because the, there is no uh, the painting stands and there is no other than with the, with the viewer yeah. well if you want to have an explanation about this, uh, um, um, how a specific uh, artist plays the piano in a Chopin uh, mm -hmm. composition. You're not going to ask the sound engineer who is recording yes. the concert <laughs> about the technique. You are going to ask the, 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 performer. the performer, won't you? Mm -hmm. Well, that's uh, exactly that. Mm -hmm. And I think that artists have too much neglected uh, art conservation, the way it is done in museums, Mm -hmm. Because now artists are considered by museums as the people who shouldn't be uh, asked about um, uh, art making and so on. And we have a lot to say. Sure. Well, do you know that it's only because I have made critical I've, uh, copies of what uh, others call this critical reconstructions of of Leonardo's fumato technique that I was able to really decipher the making of the Mona Lisa which had remained mysterious ever since Leonardo died. No one could explain it. It's so subtle and it's made in, in the flesh paint of course in the flesh sections with so little material that scientific analysis can't sort of um, explain how it's done. And, well, they tried the first uh, scientific analysis on the Mona Lisa back in, 19, uh, in 1952, 
a, cele a celebration of the quincentenary of Leonardo's birth in, uh, in 1952. They tried to analyze the Mona Lisa, X-rays, and etc., etc., et and the conclusion that uh, was by the head of the Louvre laboratory that they couldn't explain how Leonardo had painted the Mona Lisa. Well, then they started again making with much more performing uh, uh, scientific apparatus in 2004-2006 again. And the same result, Leonardo's uh, uh, paintings are too subtle and we can't sort of detect the actual process of the brush. So only experimentation like this one was capable of bringing accurate information Unfortunately, I wrote that um, my uh, observations were listed in publications back in 1990, so many years before <coughs> they, found, they found out. But I have opened the road to understand uh, what Leonardo's process was. Um, first of all, the superimposition and the fine, fine dots making, you know, a progressive the modelling which I call the, uh, the complex blending. So, I mean, this is an example of how useful artist advice can be in terms of understanding the making of pictures. It's very humbling to, to think about that and how, um, as you immerse yourself in his different works, and I think um, what attracts you to beyond the, the works themselves and also his great works as a, a researcher, as you said, his vast curiosity, uh, what interests you about his life? Well, we know little about his life except for uh, professional data, in fact, because mm -hmm. he was commissioned uh, very soon by the Duke of Milan. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he left, we, we, we have a list of the commissions he received when he left uh, Verrocchio's studio in mm -hmm. Florence in, uh, back in 1476. Mm -hmm. And he left Florence probably in 1482. Uh, but we, we don't have many details about his life at all. Uh, then, when he was in Milan, he soon had success and, and was serving the Duke of Milan, being very, extremely busy, and um, not uh, mainly as a painter, but as an engineer, military engineer. Mm. And, machines, yes. Yes, mm. and, and of course, through his manuscripts and, and, and codex, mm. uh, we know what his interest and curiosity, the, the very vast field of interest he had in, in, in many ways and in many disciplines, architecture, geology, uh, uh, human dissection and, and what have you. But we know little about his life actually. It's strange, as, as I asked that just instinctively, because we are curious, and I know that we don't also have real, like, uh, many de depictions of his face, uh, though, oh. uh, although the, I guess there are theories of certain hidden portraits. Mm. But it's strange because when you said that we don't know about his life, I think of him as a, his intellect, as his curiosity, so I felt like we knew a lot about him. <laughs> I don't know why, that's because my Because he's written a lot of yes. texts, and yes. so, so we have... <laughs> Uh, we, we have Leonardo in full when we read his texts because yes. 
it's it's still there. It's a full testimony. Yes. Yeah. So I felt like we did but, know about his life, but I guess that's why I think. <laughs> <laughs> but his private life, we don't know much about it. Yes. And then. But I he certainly must have been very well organized, because mm-hmm. you can't make so much work without having, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a pacing in in the organization of your life very strict, mm-hmm. and um, you can't. Um, go and penetrate uh, such high intellectual spheres mm-hmm. unless you are a man of good. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. To have some ideal of, uh, of perfection, beauty and uh, humanity inside yourself. And I think it's also interesting as he was also able to have a number of patrons, as, as you mentioned, in yeah. Milan and in uh, the Sforza and also Borgia and all this. Mm-hmm. I, and I wonder how he was. It's interesting, sometimes he didn't present himself first as a painter. I mean, having all these No, skills. no, yes. no, because uh, I don't think that he was hired as a, as a painter first. Mm. Because I think he could really have... Um, I think that military engineers were well paid. Ah, so he is just so yeah. It, it's it was better. It's more better and more practical for him. Yes, well, he was strained at, yeah. at uh, rather early. Yeah. As a military and a military engineer, because we have this uh, uh, letter to Ludovico il Moro, dating from well, generally dated from fourteen eighty two. It's supposed to be a little later, but never mind. I mean, he was. Uh, 35 or so mm-hmm. when he really uh, acted as a military engineer for Lodovico il Moro mm-hmm. and um, well he spent all his life as such because when he went back to Florence after the fall of Milan in 1499 he was again uh, hired by Cesare Borgia mm-hmm. for 10 months or so and he would be inspecting again <coughs> uh, castles and uh, military sections later for the French. So his whole life uh, was a career of military engineer, but at the same time painter, courtisan, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. altogether. But he was a very busy man, so he, he had to be very well organised to, to have his... Uh, psychology we can sort of uh, imagine it's not like a romantic artist you know tomorrow mm. we'll paint and do this and that and so on no no uh, i think that is a big myth don't you that that any of these artists that they did it all by just i mean this divine inspiration but there's mm-hmm. labor that's mm-hmm. labor <laughs> yeah there's labor they're workers labor yeah labor <laughs> it could be in the mines but it is in the it's a factory of sorts yes yes but with feeling i don't want to um diminish that my name is Ali Chow and I am a graduate of UCLA. Having studied art history at UCLA for my undergraduate degree, I have of course encountered many of Leonardo da Vinci's works during our discussions in class, specifically in my Italian Renaissance art history course. I remember learning about the Lady and the Ermine and finding out about the underlying sexual, emotional, and patriarchal innuendos that are not commonly known but could have been read by viewers at the time it was created. To have studied him and now listened to an interview by a da Vinci expert is very eye-opening and also sheds light on da Vinci's successes in other careers aside from the arts, such as anatomy. 
Apart from the discussion on da Vinci, Mr. Franck's own career also touches upon multifarious industries, from the arts to academia to performance, theater, as well as music. From the conversation with Mia, it is evident how Mr. Franck is multi-talented, but it is also even more inspiring to me that he feels one does not need to confine oneself to one career or industry for the rest of your life. I also like how he views the discipline of art history as not only a field of academics, something to be studied, learned, recorded, and written about, but also as an inseparable part of the actual art, and that Franck merged a passion of creating art with the expertise of studying art history. Furthermore, I really appreciate how Mr. Franck says that there is no art of a low level, which speaks true to his notion that the only thing that's real about art is art. I agree with that because as someone who has practiced art before, but also as someone who is not the best at it, creating art really comes down to the creation, the idea behind it, and the artistic innovation, which is very motivating for me. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jacques Franck, artist and art historian specializing in the works of Leonardo da Vinci. As you immerse yourself in his world, I mean, what were questions you would have liked to have asked of him? To look at my copies and criticize and say what I have to do to improve them. (laughs) (laughs) A question to the master. Yes, as you imagine a conversation with him, you've had conversations at a distance of time. Well, I have always considered Leonardo as the perfect artist. And more or less like a father. Mm. The real master is a a kind of a father figure. Yes. So, and uh, to help me understand better, improve myself, know more, make the proper efforts and, uh, you know, listen to someone who is so knowledgeable that in listening to what he says you will make real progress. And did you feel, I mean, in terms of the, as you said, his work as an engineer, that there's this um, conflict. Did you wish he would have created more visual artworks? Although I feel the whole codex is an art. Yes, yes, well, that's a, the regret. Well, yeah. s- well, some works of art are supposedly lost. Mm. We don't know t- um, to what extent because it's a difficult to... Um, um, to know for sure whether it was just cartoons or actual paintings in, cert- mm. in certain cases, like for the um, <clears throat> for the Madonna of the Jan Winder, and um, otherwise, of course, I would have uh, be so happy to know um, the uh, the Last Supper if it were mm. left in a perfect condition, yes. in good condition now. There's nearly nothing left of it. Uh, And to have seen more uh, paintings by him, but uh, the ladder, but we are not sure that the ladder was an actual uh, finished painting or a um, a studio work. Uh I think that at some stage Leonardo was so busy that finally, towards the end of his life, um, there weren't any more new Leonardos we are for sure that the latest, uh, the latest works are the Mona Lisa, the Saint Anne, and John the Baptist, uh, which are in the Louvre. But uh, the other ones, this is my theory, 
uh, like the Bacchus, the ladder with just, I should say, advanced studio works made under his strict supervision, but not entirely by himself. Yes, because I think also with his... Um, and this was the case yeah. with the uh, Salvatore Mundi. Yes. And I think I can't, you probably know the quote to your fingers, but also this, that because of his not finishing commissions, even in the big early part of his career. Yeah, uh, yes. Did what he say that... Well, he's, he dropped the adoration of the Magi yeah. just before he left uh, for Milan. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting thing when you have a kind of restless curiosity. About it. I can't, you will be able to quote it better, that to conceive is wonderful, or to, but to execute is servile. I don't know how it is translated, and I must have that wrong. I thought it was something that he said in terms of maybe when uh, he didn't um, wasn't completing commissions. Oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the unfinished work. Yes. Yes, I think unfinished works are very interesting in terms of what they can teach us about the, the what lies beneath. You know, mm-hmm. that's, you can see the working of the minds as you also see uh, yeah. in the, the codex. It's that's. That's half of the fascination with art, right? Well, I think that Leonardo didn't mean that uh, unfinishing should be a system per se. Yes, but sometimes it's interesting. Yes, and yes. this is an ex- a contemporary exaggeration. Yes. Because, of course, modern art has come to a point where now you, you just sketch out and it's considered a, a, finish, a, a finished work. Yeah. But in these times it was entirely different. Mm. So what I think Leonardo meant, really is that you mustn't insist too much to, um, to obtain perfection as um, taken out of your will itself or out of your reason. Mm-hmm. Perfection must come, I shouldn't say by accident, but because something will happen that makes it, because the artist can't always master every gesture. In art, the fact that uh, reason wouldn't be the master at all times and the guide if you prefer but also let something accidental but coming from above as pure intuition put the right thing which is enough and this I think this is what he's, he means mm. at some stage leaving things as they are is better than try to to introduce with your reason and various parameters uh, more aesthetics in your picture. There's so many artworks. I, I wouldn't speak of, of his paintings, but the, because so many artworks n- are killed. Ar- that art is not entirely mechanical. Mm. It's built up on a mechanical system, of course, which is guided by reason to some extent. You want to do a portrait and you have to observe reality and you will do this, that and so and so forth. Uh, this part of creation is artistic and intellectual but there is something else which you must um, which I call grace Mm. inspiration if you prefer Mm. at some stage inspiration which does not obey reason will intervene and put the right thing and that will be enough Yes, because it is like dance, or if you watch the flight of birds, are they thinking at every movement? If they have to think about every no. movement, they will fall. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's and that's there's this natural grace that happens. Voila. And we just know that is it. But it happens. This is what I think Leonardo meant. Yes, 
but of course to get that gracefulness as humans not birds <laughs> need, we need practice yes yes, yes. well uh, practice what I call reason mm -hmm. construction and, and what is mechanical in a mm -hmm. way is the lower stage mm -hmm. and inspiration is above and you have to to let inspiration dominate I think that comes to the thing about the instinctive mind or the, that uh, well, takes Well, art over. is part yeah. of life. You know, mm -hmm. I was observing, because I've been singing my life, I didn't say that in my uh, CV, but, mm -hmm. but I couldn't sort of <laughs> introduce that on, on top of the rest. Yeah. But I'm very much interested in, in, in opera singing. Oh, yeah. And I was uh, listening to Maria Callas some time ago because when she came to Paris in 1968, she had, uh, she was in the Opéra de Paris, and she, she was in a concert. She could sing well still, because she was still very young, she was 35. Uh, so I could observe her, I have been listening to Callas many, many times. I saw her last performance in Paris in, back in 1973, and I was in Paris in 1958 also, because a friend of mine who was her photographer for that performance in the Opéra de Paris, so I was very much interested. Mm -hmm. So I looked at her and Carlos had been training very much. If you know about uh, her biography, she started as a little child and she was so keen on opera uh, music that uh, when she was going to bed at the age of eight, nine or so, she would take a, a small lamp under the sheets in her bed because her mother wanted her to sleep. She would follow old musical parts of the romantic 19th century period just to get um, information and be very acknowledged about these old parts that no one would ever sing again in the 20th century because she rediscovered Bellini and all these parts yeah. you see and so she had already an extraordinary knowledge of singing and she was a very good musician too, she was a pianist and what have you. So she was complete. The technique was absolutely perfect. And I was listening of, uh, to her, Rosine, in the uh, Barbier de Seville. And I, I, I really understood because I've been singing that too. Mm. So I could follow what she was doing. And I really realised that she had that extraordinary technique. But anyone can have the technique. But there was something above that, total inspiration. And she was guided by the gift of music. And that was part of her psychology. Music was in, in her psychology. Mm -hmm. In Leonardo, art was in his psychology. It was the upper part of his psychology as an expression of the mystery of life in him. The same in Callas. I'm always observing artists performing because it's very interesting to observe. She was living in another dimension as if she were connected to an invisible source and that invisible source suddenly gave her genius. On top of all she'd been learning technically, so mm -hmm. she had the art the architectural setting of the technique so she couldn't fail because of course what she was singing was very difficult mm. but also suddenly life came into it and this is what makes the difference between artists and those who are not artists 
I think I think it's very true. And then, of course, the other level of genius yeah. that now we're yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, it must be true because, of course, there is this foundation for spaces. And you mentioned something else, the similarities between Da Vinci or Carlos, whatever. Of course, it comes at a very young age. As they are living their art, they almost don't know life before. They know music before they know yeah. life. They it's, live It's music. the way, mm-hmm. the way of living. It's like they breathe. Yeah. And I feel, and you've seen this it's with the genius. It's part of the phenomenon of life in them. Yes. And so even when they are not singing or painting or whatever, mm-hmm. that's their experience. Yeah. So it's easy. Oh, it's, it's, it's not something you have to turn on and off. It's always on, I think. It's that's always yes. on. I yes. can tell you that this is why I've been... Uh, I always have had difficulty in making myself understood mm-hmm. in in the various in the various situations I've, I've come across in my life. Mm-hmm. It's because a paint I'm a painter. Yes. Uh, art historian of of course, but a painter. Yes, that's how you understand. It. Yes, I. Mm-hmm. This is how I understand. When I, all my vision, all my visual, mm-hmm. all my vision, what I see with my eyes, is mm-hmm. automatically transferred, as an imaginary painting. Mm, when I yes. see you, I see your portrait. Oh, I hope that's a good one. <laughs> when I see this, I sh- how should I represent it? Mm. If I were to make a picture of, of the room and so on, mm-hmm. it's automatic. It's yes. in me. I think that is very important in all the, uh, because this is an educational project and in terms of teaching the artists of tomorrow or just the creative people of tomorrow and that you notice the difference between people who are experts in their fields is that they don't distinguish between um, life and work there's not a sense of work it's no. all play yeah? it's the way it's like it's yeah, a way yeah. to be yes and it's not like i'm not i'm off work now so i'm not being paid i don't have to do that's not the way mm. anyone who accomplishes anything as, as i understand uh thinks well i'm with yes. leonardo mm-hmm. all day mm-hmm. yes night and day yes he's with me here all the time mm-hmm Yes, of course, and that's why going back to when you see something that's not by his hand, it just is like a... Well, I'm struck. Yeah. It, it didn't take me a long time to see that what was wrong in the, in, 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 in the Salvatore Mundi. Mm-hmm. Right away, I mm-hmm. said, well, the, the, the hand is faulty. Mm-hmm. Can't be Leonardo. And I immediately thought, why, why is it there? Mm-hmm. Why did he uh, let this out of the studio? Mm-hmm. Why, why did he allow someone to produce that painting and let it go? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, this is what I'm still thinking about. And I, to me, the only explanation is it's because it was Salai, mm-hmm. his favourite pupil, yes. nearly a child, and he knew that he couldn't improve Salai's uh, uh, own level of talent, mm-hmm. that he'd better touch up the painting and correct was really awful Mm -hmm. and let it go as it was. You are the co-founder of the uh, Conferenza Internazionale su Restauro. Can you just also talk about your work with that? Well, that was created by um, Enzo D'Angelo, who was Mm -hmm. a uh, teacher at uh, Florence University. Did you mind being corrected by the the Mise? Well, not too much, really, because, Mm -hmm. of course, I... I could sort of uh, understand that I couldn't know everything, even if I were gifted, mm-hmm. and it was real pleasure to learn. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's always painful when the doctor removes something, mm-hmm. 
uh, operates your arm, but he will cure your arm. Yes. Do you understand? So yeah. I was quite aware of that. It, just going back to missing the, the atelier systems, and they have them to a degree now, but everything is the artist is independent, and we have, you know, it seems it's so nice when there was a real community of artists, and we could, you know, understand that we have to learn our basic skills, and it was, it was all right to say we don't know. Yeah? Yes. Well, we are in a new generation altogether now. Mm. In these times, any artist would have a sense of perfection. Mm. Whether he could attain it or not, that's mm. all the problem. Mm. Of course, I have been faced with mm. the most d difficult challenge, mm. well, which was first to uh, copy uh, Leonardo, copy Botticelli, copy Raphael and, and people like yeah. that, you yeah. see. But it was extremely helpful because I could compare the result I have been uh, obtaining mm -hmm. and the original and then I could see the distance between my own work and the work of the master. Mm -hmm. And this is how you, uh, you learnt in these days. Mm -hmm. You learn from the difference between you and the top. It was the same if you would uh, perform the piano, violin, my my uh, my my brother was a violinist i mean you know art is based on perfection and mm -hmm. we all knew uh, about that you couldn't unless you you are perfect and you ha you, you have a level a high level of skill technique musical understanding sensitivity you can't play liszt you can't play chopin you can't play bach uh, mm -hmm. uh, and so and so forth i mean you know if you really wish to be at the highest level, you've got to consider that perfection is just a base. Okay. And in these times, we really had that sense, you see. Today, it's more or less, perfection is something that stops me from being myself. If you uh, think that way, you'll never reach what you are aiming at. You must renounce to something that is in you to let out the best and not to see that as a sacrifice but what is standing in the way there is you. no sacrifice for art or for God or what have you for mm. the highest value mm. it's logical and mathematical mm. if you want to have really the top inspiration You've got to focus your mind on the highest value in aesthetics. I actually, I don't know the exact extent of da Vinci's faith, but art as being made as an act of faith or an act of perfection. Mm. And in your own life, is it a semi-religious appreciation of art? Yes and no. Mm. Art is art, yeah. and uh, that's all. But. To me, art is the expression of beauty, mm. and beauty is something like the sun, shall we say, an absolute. Mm. Life itself, in a specific way. So, uh, if you wish to attain the absolute, mm. you've got to get rid of a lot of things which stop you 
from reaching it. So is it painful for you to look at some contemporary art in the contemporary style because there are people painting today who are Oh, my, my, my way of, because I've been painting contemporary art myself. Yes, because, abstract. Yes, abstract painting yeah. for many years. I can show you something. Yes, I would love to see, yes. I studied uh, art history back in the f in the fifties, mm -hmm. and this is was made in the seventies, oh, early seventies. Very very few people would sort of uh, cut the canvas and use it underneath to to show you know some. It was m more or less uh, back uh, in the in, in the trend of the minimal art. Mm -hmm. So the the painting there's a slash an incision. And the canvas is, how would you say, peeled aside. You yeah. see the canvas covers. It, it folded, sides. yes. Yes, oh, that's no. a wood. That's a wood. Okay, I thought it's an underside of canvas. Yeah, as well. it's not the real canvas. Yes. It's taken, this is the real canvas. Yes. And then you see the underside of a, another canvas. And you have wood bis bisecting and a, a shape. And red. Yes, and this, of course, the real uh, beam. Ah. of the frame it's meant to deceive mm -hmm. give the impression that the beam comes out and on the canvas but yes. it's not real yes but it is wood no no it is oh that's no ah, I see, I see. It, it, it's it's canvas okay. painted like wood it's a world away from your other work in other centuries <laughs> and i wonder how you contain it in yourself like do you paint in this style, you, you continue to paint in this style or in many no, different well, styles? Well, I stopped painting for the time being because yes. I'm devoted to Leonardo, so I can't, I, I don't have time to paint at all. Yes, it's, yeah, it's, it takes but I, You know, it's all my techniques. I, I <clears throat> learned traditional uh, mm -hmm. basic, it's like uh, musical theory. Yes. You, you have to, to learn musical theory to, to be able to decipher contemporary music. Yeah. Okay? Yes. And this bass will help you uh, play Mozart, uh, Wagner, mm -hmm. any uh, contemporary composer and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. It's the bass. So now I'm free to create whatever technique and style I wish. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I can do that. You see? Mm -hmm. So I'm very free inside yes. myself. So towards contemporary art, I can say, well, in art, there is only something basic mm -hmm. what is good and what is not good mm -hmm. what is art and what is not art yes. i could see immediately that um the american painter uh, who who died uh, so young basquiat basquiat was a great artist i could mm -hmm. see that right away the first painting by basquiat which i saw i said well he's a great artist yeah. it's there mm -hmm. it's there he has the divine sparkle, if I can use a term mm -hmm. like that, you see. And mm -hmm. um, artist is that way. Whatever the type of expression you use, if there is basic talent, inspiration, divine sparkle and what have you, it will show. <laughs> I have seen some Basquiat fakes <coughs> recently. Yes, I can just I tell could them that. <laughs> I could immediately see that they yes. were not good Basquiat. Yeah, they're just not... They're too logical. They're like uh, and symmetrical. Even, and even yeah. the touche is not there. Yeah. So that is, I just want to say, I'm like, I can't believe. And yet they're being sold at the auction houses. I don't know. Or wherever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I mm -hmm. don't know how that's happening. But uh, 
anyway. <laughs> it's another well, a, interesting phenomenon. Well, a fake phenomenon. can be a, a good fake. Yes. Yes, why not? A fossier can uh, yeah. teach us also about art history. Yes, well, he, yeah. if he has real talent, it can yes. be a very good fake. Yes. It's a work of art. Yes. There is no distinction between a fake and art. Yes. Yeah, this is interesting because sometimes uh, the fakes have been, I think, you know, they're notable like uh, some Max Ernst uh, fake painting, which was mm -hmm. lauded as being the best Max Ernst. Mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. And that's strange, you know. Mm -hmm. Quite. <laughs> yes, it is, it's, it's a strange, um, I mean, this, yes, again, this is off topic, but it's, it's interesting the personality or the imagination of who decides to become a art forger, you know. It's a, it's, it is not, it, it is art, but it's not, uh, they're hiding in a, in a I don't know, it's a, I don't know if you, what your thoughts are on that. Well, perfect forgery can't be detected because it's perfect, so you will not make the difference between the original and uh, the actual forgery. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I don't know whether science would respond positively to this uh, statement, but to me, as I said before, it's good or it's not good. It's so, yeah, the distinction is whether it is enough in the spirit of it. Yeah. yeah. When it is possible to reconstruct what, what is missing. Yeah. It's not uh, possible in all cases. Well, I'm very, uh, very doubtful about good restoration. Yeah. Because I, I, I can see by myself how difficult it was to restore the Leonardo's in the Louvre, for instance. Yeah because, of course, uh, they are five centuries old mm -hmm. and uh, some parts of them have been either repainted or have been injured to some extent and, uh, and it's difficult to, to, to wind back the, cl uh, the clock. Mm -hmm. So you can't get back to the original. But to me, uh, the best restoration is the, the more tactful one. Mm -hmm that doesn't interfere with the artist's initial intentions and uh, I'm going to show what he really wanted to show and so and so forth. I don't like all this because oh, yes. th there is a problem of authenticity yes. <laughs> and it's better to, to show the best condition we can see a given picture by a great artist as long as it is, uh, well, the good condition safe condition for the physical condition I mean you know because it has mm -hmm. to be uh, kept and uh, well preserved the problem of conservation is that all we have to matter about is to preserve never mind what the image looks like mm -hmm. at present we'll make progress and if the work the work is well preserved at the moment mm -hmm. in 50 or 100 years or onwards will have perhaps the possibility more before, uh, performing apparatuses uh, that will help understand such and such a situation and, and so and so forth. What we have to also make for, to preserve these uh, paintings is uh, to make available every possibility that we understand the actual, I should say, like musical theory, the base on which the work, the intellectual, cultural base and key according to which the, um, the, the work has been created. And I think it's very, very, very sad that we have given up 
the transmission of uh, old master techniques, uh, academic and classic, because it's very useful to understand old masters which were made and created on that uh, base. It's, it's just, just as if we had given up the um, the uh, the teaching of musical theory. Mm-hmm. We couldn't play Bach or, or Chopin or what have you anymore. Yes. It helps. It helps. It's a it's a way of reading and understanding the actual aesthetic and technical message, mm-hmm. because it was based on various theories, on various traditions, and mm-hmm. the, if you're instructed and having that in particular information, you can preserve better. There is nowhere, uh, nowhere, ignorance is a knowledge. Yes, it's not. It's um, it's very important that we at least have this basis, whether we're able to have, you know, who is the Da Vinci of tomorrow, I don't know, but but that we at least understand. We mm-hmm. understand and really understand. This is the reason me. why I stopped painting, because mm-hmm. I thought that Leonardo's genius was far more important than my own gift and that I had learned a lot about and that I was the only one who had uh, known so much about him in these days and I had to transmit it in order that his paintings can be preserved. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, I must say that, that we are still injuring Leonardo through its restorations. Yeah. And it, so there's two things that come to mind as you say that. One is that also in terms of not destroying through not destroying thinking they're improving and also as we look at older works of art uh, what attracts us to them beyond how they were created at the time is also the passage of time Mm -hmm. when you strip away so much of it thinking we're going to get and we don't know fingers crossed it may be what it It may be or maybe not but you're also destroying time Mm-hmm. I feel like it's sometimes it's just, it's with a great sadness. It's it's a part of that is is the natural natural aging, which is beautiful yes. too. Yes, and who has the knowledge mm-hmm. to know what is to be removed or not to be removed? Yes. Who can decide? It's a bit I like can tell you all. The, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like the um, in in our system. I think it's about the same system in, in, in the rest of the world, but the museum curator, uh, curators in France, their status is just like feudal power. Mm. They are responsible of the work from the beginning to end and have le droit de vie et de mort, the right of life and death. Yes. This should not be accepted because people say, I'm a curator, I'm in the Louvre, I'm in... Museum and what have you, mm-hmm. therefore I am, am someone important and I have the right to decide what is going to be done to this work or not. Mm-hmm. This should not be accepted because mm-hmm. no one has the real knowledge of what the work of art is or is not. They have a certain amount of information that has been gathered through time on the picture, through scientific examination, historical uh, records and what have you and so on and so forth. But we don't have the totality of information of how we should um, behave 
accept, just preserve. A man of the previous uh, uh, generation, in fact, even this is, mm -hmm. I can remember very well when I made it and mm -hmm. uh, what was my purpose. And my purpose yes. was just to go farther, to discover, to, uh, to be more daring and, and what have you, and yes. still keep the artistic feeling. Mm -hmm. But now other criteria mm -hmm. uh, have been introduced in art. Oh, so yes. I've stopped painting in the early 80s, you see, to devote myself to Leonardo. So um, I'm not in the art market anymore, really. Sure, yes, but you've exhibited, you've exhibited FIAC. And yes, 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 yes. Of course, it fits you, yeah. like the contemporary. Yes, yes, well, I'm still a contemporary yeah. artist. Yes. But I mean, all these new artists, I don't know whether I'm in um, um, able to understand uh, their um, um, their own position, philosophical position. Well, as I told you, to me, um, even in this, there must be something um, th that means perfection. Mm -hmm. And the perfection in art, to me, mm -hmm. still is between this and that, which are two different ways of painting. Something in which you cannot improve anything and you cannot remove anything. It must be a totality. Mm -hmm. It is itself. It has its own identity as it is, for what it is, for what it wants to be, mm. and that is it. It is a person, really. Yeah, when I painted regularly and mm. uh, was still exhibiting, mm. I would work on some theme, mm. started on each canvas, mm. and uh, I would stop only when I thought that I couldn't add anything to it, mm. because it seemed to me I can't add anything, I can't I can't remove anything mm. I c because my creation is always uh, guided by permanent doubting. Mm. I doubt that it is perfect and I'm always criticizing, well, should you remove this or stop this and put a little more this or that and, and, and when you have the full harmony, whether it pleases you or not, I say well, I can't change it because it is exactly what it should be. So in art, to me, the criterion is that it's a whole. And in these times, of course, people knew me because I was a classic painter, more or less. And when I went towards uh, creating abstract art and advanced abstract, because in these years it was always uh, uh, advanced already, mm -hmm. I, m I made even more advanced and more daring than these ones but uh, this is the only <coughs> element I have in Paris yes. so I can't sh I can't show you the rest but I had less and less people following and supporting my work mm -hmm. and I was getting freed and happy because I was myself I would express exactly what I wanted and I did not mind that I had any follower or not and uh, my best realizations were made during that time right. when I was feeling totally independent, never mind who thinks what of my work. And right. the, the only one who can judge. And that's interesting, these paintings that we're looking at, I don't know the title, but it is interesting in terms of its textures, perspective, and the depth. And then, you know, this 
smooth plane, but the depth beyond you have a texture, uh, you can enter into the painting. Um, so I do think about what artists can teach us. In some uh, ways, you know, the humanities are not being pushed so much in school. Of course, they are students of art, but I feel as we go, Da Vinci is a great teacher for this, is that I think if we could learn like artists in that way of learn through making, I don't know if this is something that's emphasized enough through uh, current education system, that there's a lot of theory, but the actual implementation is not, in my experience, is not something that is encouraged uh, as much, you know, at a, at a young age. Well, I don't know what's going on in these days because I'm not, I've been teaching for 15 years there. Yes. But, um, well, I stopped that about 10 years ago because I, I wanted to devote myself to, to Leonardo entirely. But uh, all I can tell you is that the training in an art school, mm -hmm. well, in a good art school, because yes. of course there are lots of bad art schools. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> never mind the technique you learn, never mind the style you learn. Mm -hmm. What these uh, trainings are meant for is just to educate your psychology and to educate your skill in a way. First you learn, uh, you learn techniques, you are familiar with art, so it makes you enter the whole world. But whatever, and I can prove it because, you know, I can show that I can cope mm -hmm. equally with a classic at the top mm -hmm. or uh, very uh, at the time it was very uh, modern it will educate you to face the challenge of art it needs to make you a strong man capable of getting rid of previews and uh, having a priori's on art and how it should be or not be and so and so forth what is really important is that you have discipline, that you work regularly, that you are broad-minded and that you can, that you are always in a capacity to change something in yourself. If something in you prevents you from creating properly what you have to transmit. The learning of self-discipline, the moral strength to face what has to be faced in the art world. I mean, you know, as an artist, it's very important to know where the secondary distractions, to get rid of that, to have, to get face to the pure phenomenon of creation and always helping you to understand that you've got to be not only more perfect, but more accurate and faithful to your inner vision. And ultimately, it's a problem of honesty mm -hmm. and self-commitment towards mm -hmm. yourself. Right, and it's probably more and more difficult with all the distracting technologies as well. To, yes, to the technologies that. and um, now the, the overall shaping of the art market too. Yes, because other artists have shared to me who have themselves um, some some renown and mastery, but that's almost that's not necessarily what the market even wants. I know. Yeah, 
It's just, uh, but he'll give it to them anyway because mm -hmm. he has to. That's his identity. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, that's frustrating when you have more skill than the market requires. Uh -huh. More ability, more. Yes, I know, yes. I know. But yeah. to some extent, I mean, it's it's the times we are mm. facing now. Yes. We are confronted with, and we have to. If you're an artist, of course, so much depends on your ordinary life. Can you paint? Can, can't you paint? You have to sell what you produce if you don't have enough money to, to, live, uh, to live with and so on and so forth. So um, I don't know what's, what's the challenge nowadays. I should say that many w will be tempted to, to make things that are fashionable in order that it can be commercial and can live with. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes. It. I think that art is something really demanding and that mm. requires great courage because um, art doesn't mean that you are going to please everybody you meet. And then, so as you look to the future and we've been talking about education, uh, the importance of uh, the arts, humanities, um, and you think about the kind of and the importance of preserving these masterpieces on preserving art and preserving mm -hmm. um, our knowledge of um, the academic skills that we're, we're mm -hmm. using, how we're educating our young people for tomorrow and um, the kind of world we're leaving our children. What are your thoughts about it? Is what is important to preserve and to teach? Just to uh, speak to the young people the way I'm speaking to you, if you are capable to have an overall view that helps you uh, transmit such a speech uh, uh, as mine. But while I'm, when I'm considering uh, the younger generation, this is what I have to, to recommend. Well, of course, the, the parents should be very attentive to uh, pay attention to their children if they are artists and to of course, it's a difficult situation. I was lucky enough to have a mother who was very cultured and she had artists in her own family, uh, good artists. But so she was very sensitive to art. My father was not, he was a scientist. So he tried to stop me being what I became, finally. <laughs> in fact, art for children shouldn't be thought of in terms of profession it should be thought in terms of psychology they are made that way they are artists it's part of their innate psychology and personality so they have to be understood as different to other children who are not artists who will be mathematicians or what have you you know and be sent to art school, the best art school you have, where you are, where you live. And then if the child is perceptive enough and gifted enough, he will know immediately whether the school is suitable or not. He will pick up what he can pick up and um, already shape his own artistic personality out of that. And if the artistic fundamental personality is strong enough anyway no need to have um, a school for a long time because artistic a strong uh, artistic personality 
makes one extremely demanding to oneself because there is no art without a sense of perfection. Perhaps I'm sort of shaping out a sort of an old artist in the, of the past, I don't know. And then you mustn't try to influence uh, youngsters too much because they know better. I'm going to give you an example. When I left the Beaux-Arts school in Paris, I had to earn a living. So I tried to, to sell portraits and also to do some fashion designing. Oh, right. Yeah, and I did, and I was very successful. I knew the fashion in these years, which were the same years as Saint Laurent, mm -hmm. and you see the same, it's, well, they were older than me, but it's mm -hmm. about the same generation. Mm -hmm. And fashion is something that is really something linked up to the actual moment of time. Yes. Fashion is, uh, fashion style is dates from the very moment it is created. And it is the same with art. So you mustn't influence the gen uh, the old people mustn't influence. They can help provide uh, information, their own experience, uh, take them to exhibitions and show them, uh, buy them art books and, and so on and so forth. But never say you must do this and must do that. They must, of course, say you must have a self-discipline, you must draw all the time, you must make exercises you must, and so on and so forth because there is no art without work but not influence them because they know better. And I can tell you that my, grand, uh, my grandson isn't, uh, wants to... I was amazed because I'm not the, the type of person being an artist who will influence his son to be an artist because you can't create an artist. You, right. you, you were born an artist or you were not born an artist mm -hmm. and that's all. And so I didn't want to influence and he suddenly decided to go uh, into the fashion world. Mm -hmm. And when I saw his creations, he said, well, wh why don't you uh, uh, teach me this and that? I said, I can teach you how to draw. Mm -hmm. I can teach you how to uh, organize yourself in your work, mm -hmm. but I can't teach you what is fashion at the moment now, because you youngsters are the people who know better about fashion than the older generation. Sure, that this fashion at this moment in time. Yeah, they, they have an instinct. artists also uh -huh. have instinct of the art at present. Mm. Yes, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's training their eye, their ear. Their, yes. Well, they have a sensitivity to all sorts of things which belongs to their age, their generation, mm -hmm. and which the previous generation doesn't have but had. In, his, in its time and so on and so forth. So, and you mustn't influence, just allow them to do what they need to do to become what they are. That's a, that's a beautiful way of see, seeing uh, the world, of seeing uh, young people and um, of seeing uh, individual works of art. I think that, that bears uh, with your um, feeling about being very sensitive about restoration. Let it be what it is mm -hmm. and not impose too much on it. It, it requires yes. a lot of reflecting and a lot of time to come to th such a conclusion. Yes. Not interfere. Yes, not interfere. Preserve, but not interfere. And never forget that the work of art must be kept for the, for the future generations. Mm. 
and that much progress will be made. And we have to preserve our traditions in order that they can be transmitted, nourish further generations in order that they can exploit, improve, to make the best out of that and make new discoveries in order to preserve better, to improve the understanding better, and so on and so forth. Well, well thank you so much, Jacques Frank, <laughs> for all you have done to improve our understanding of uh, beauty and art and the, the creative process of da Vinci through your own contributions as, as a painter, this, this uh, respect for the creation of art from the beginning to end, and uh, uh, thank you very much for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interview producer on this podcast was Ali Chow. Assignment editor is Sorella Lark. Digital media coordinator is Camille Montalino. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anatolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition Traveling to Leading Universities or published on our website www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.